Hey folks, today on the podcast we have Matt De La Valle, aka MDV. The biggest message you're going to get from this podcast is about going 110% into whatever it is that you're doing, because that's how Matt approaches his life, or as he describes it, effort over everything. He's going to talk about his path to becoming a lawyer and how that pivoted to getting into fitness full-time and how he ended up at NC Fit and being chief fitness officer there. Uh, we're going to talk about things like washing dishes and what that means to his life. Uh, he gets big on and passionate about coaching and professionalizing the, the coaching experience, especially at CrossFit gyms. He'll talk about his experience doing 75 hard, what that is, and why he, in his mind, failed it even though he went through the motions of it. Uh, and he's also going to talk about things like starting a coffee company and books he recommends. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is Matt De La Valle, aka MDV. All right, folks. Uh, so today on the podcast, we got Matt De La Valle, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, also got it. MDV. Uh, so for those of you that have been in the CrossFit space, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you've heard of MDV, but um, why don't you just give a quick overview of, of who you are and, and what you're about? Sure. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to chat today. Uh, Chief Fitness Officer at NC Fit, and although that sounds like a made-up position, it's kind of the culmination of my career in fitness. I've been in this field now since around 2006, 2007. Um, I was parallel pathing uh, being a lawyer for a while. Uh, graduated law school in 2009, and I was going to go and uh, pursue that while also coaching. The economic situation in 2009 threw me a little bit of a curveball and ended up uh, not having the dream job that I thought I was going to have. It was actually a really difficult and trying time in my life, but ended up doubling down my passion and moved to Boston and found myself in some really unique situations, um, kind of like Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. I found myself in a situation surrounded by some of the best people in the world doing some of the stuff that I wanted to do, and I begged, borrowed, and stole everything I could from them. And it led to a whole host of really amazing opportunities. Got to travel the world for CrossFit seminar staff, worked for Reebok HQ, managing partnerships for them, coached some of the best gyms in the world, and really developed a unique skill set and knowledge in this uh, functional fitness thing that we all love. So that's what I do now. I'm uh, working out in California on the West Coast for Jason Kalipa and running NC Fit with the big guy. I love it. I opened my gym in 2017. And uh, the job before I had that uh, was uh, consulting and education. And my very last spot that I visited before literally opening my doors was to California. And so I dropped into NC Fit oh, cool. and met Jason and, and chatted with him and he gave some good advice. And uh, so that was my last uh, official drop-in uh, <laughs> before opening up my own spot. But before dealing with drop-ins. Before dealing with drop-ins, that's right. Uh, not nearly as many as you guys, uh, based on where we're located, but all good. Um, let's go back to, so you were on this track of being a lawyer and then sure. all of a sudden we had the shift. Um, I feel like with the pandemic, a lot of people have been really re-examining what they're about, what they do and, and why they do it. So you had done that, you know, over a decade ago. Talk about that a little bit. Like, was there pressure in your family to be a lawyer? Uh, were you doing something that you really didn't feel in your heart was the right way to go, but you you had the social pressure to do it or family pressure, or was it something you actually did believe in and then all of a sudden you had to change your heart? Yeah, that, that's a it's an interesting question because it's a really interesting time in my life. It feels like multiple lifetimes ago, not just one lifetime ago. Um, it's a confluence of things. It's a, I think it's a mix. You know, uh, I still think about it quite a bit. It was a a, a very monumental moment in my life. Um, you know, I, I went through undergraduate um, and really uh, did, did well in undergraduate to the point in which I had a lot of options in what I wanted to do afterwards. Uh, you know, my undergraduate degree is in history, Spanish, and sociology, um, and all three of those topics I was really interested in. So I, I really dove into the material and was able to uh, become passionate about studying while also having a great time at college and, and doing all the normal uh, American college experience things. Um, but I found myself in a position to put together a really strong application for law school. And um, it was one of those things that when I was growing up, my parents always kind of embedded in me that, you know, this was an option, that there was um, a path beyond undergraduate to go and pursue. And, you know, 
being a lawyer is a very prestigious thing. And I think my parents wanted the best for me. They wanted me to be financially stable. They wanted me to achieve a high level of success. They wanted me to push myself. And uh, that path for them was something that, you know, they, they talked to me a lot about, not in a way that I felt overly compelled to do it, or they were going to disown me, but it was just something that they had a certain vision for what they thought my skills would apply well to. And um, I ended up agreeing, you know, I ended up figuring that this would be a really strong path for me to follow. And I also really enjoyed the historical aspect behind, you know, studying law. Uh, when you go into law school, your first year, you're, you're reading a lot of old case law, you're, you're discovering how both the rule of law and common law were established in this country. And um, you, you really get to dive into that. So I was, I'm a nerd in a lot of senses. And that really uh, excited me. Um, you know, as I made my way through law school, I, again, I, I worked my ass off. Uh, fitness was also a huge priority for me. It had been for the four years that I was going through university. And uh, I trained every single, almost every single day. But I had also found CrossFit, CrossFit my very first day of law school. Um, I was an ocean lifeguard for eight summers, you know, through undergraduate, also through law school and a year beyond. And training to me was integral in, in that pursuit because I always wanted to be prepared if I had to go in and save somebody. We were working in water sometimes that was really, really treacherous. Mm -hmm. And some people took the job more seriously than others. I really had a lot of fun on the job, but I also wanted to be able to go and save anybody at any time in any water. So when I was going to my first year of law school, I was regularly doing a lot of intense workouts. I was, you know, sprinting in soft sand. I was going to the gym before getting to the beach. I was, you know, doing uh, all these other types of like water rescues and things like that. And I was looking for challenging workouts to do. And I met this guy at the fitness center, the first year of law school. And he was like, Hey, you look like you're fit. Do you want to do this workout with me? And I said, okay, let's do it. And it turned out to be uh, Angie, 100 pull-ups, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats. And it was the most classic Angie that you could ever do in 2006. You know, I did my mm -hmm. squats to a BOSU ball, did my pull-ups on one of those machines that had the knee thing that moved up and down mm -hmm. and uh, just became addicted to that style of training. So um, this guy probably doesn't even know that he had such a huge impact on the path or the career that I was going to take. But you know, from there, I got into coaching very soon after in 2007, found myself interning at a gym. I was fortunate to find a level four instructor who was local, uh, who took me under his wing. And, you know, from there, I got my level one 2008 and kind of the rest is history. So, you know, in terms of my parents, um, when I got to the end of law school, I had this awesome opportunity to go work for this really big shit firm in New York. And, you know, it kind of all felt like it was coming together. And then all of a sudden, Chris, it just evaporated. It was all gone. Um, the, the economic collapse of 2008, 2009 hit the legal industry really, really hard in 2009 in particular. And the firm that I was going to work for was one of the only firms in the country that called us up and said, hey, you know, take a little bit of a, a break. We don't want you to come in just yet. And then mm -hmm. they quickly called us up again and actually said, actually just never show up. This is like, let's pretend this whole thing never happened. And here's a little chunk of change and you can go off and go and do and be whatever you want. Unfortunately, it left a lot of us shit out of luck in terms of having job opportunities and prospects. And, uh, you know, I decided to pull myself up on my bootstraps and figure out something else. So what brought you across the country to, cause I think you went to CFNE, right? Yep. Yep. So originally I ended up in Boston. I was, um, I was working for a small fitness equipment startup as their director of operations, a company called Again Faster, which yeah. uh, if you're an OG in the space, you remember as being a bigger player. Uh, now they're a little bit more of a fringe player, but I uh, worked there for a little bit. Uh, but I happened to meet Ben Bergeron almost uh, immediately when I moved to Boston. It was like I moved to Boston and Ben was there standing with like a smiling face and a handshake. And um, he, again, took me under his wing and right away I started coaching at CrossFit New England, which is arguably the best place that a young coach could have found themselves in 2009. Ben and Heather were doing absolutely amazing things with that brand. They were coaching at the highest levels. They had the most level one seminar staff members in the gym all the time. You know, I would coach class there on Saturdays and it would be Ben Bergeron, Heather Bergeron, E.C. Sinkowski, Mel Ockerby, James Hobart, 
Mm-hmm. Austin Maliolo, sometimes Denise Thomas, sometimes like that's seven staff, Matt Frankel, eight staff members, um, and all taking your class. It, it was intimidating in some senses, but it also was a trial by fire. I had to get really good really fast because I didn't want to be the low man on the totem pole, the person who was like, ah, yeah, this guy coaches here, but you don't want to take his class. Um, they forced me to be better. Uh, and Ben really created an awesome environment, um, a lot more informal than it is now. Uh, as I've spoken to him more recently, they've definitely uh, made some changes in systems and processes and, you know, they've evolved, which is great. But it was, uh, it was a little rough and tumble and it was fantastic. I wouldn't change a minute of it. Amazing. And then you move to, were you doing seminar staff while you were also coaching there? So yeah. You were weekends doing seminar staff? I actually got rejected from seminar staff the first time that I applied. Um, this is a, it's a little interesting story, probably not super interesting for a lot of people. It's interesting for me. I, you know, I, I applied very early on in my coaching career. I applied in like 2009, uh, so only a few years into coaching. And I, I thought I knew everything, which is kind of the classic mistake, you know, um, I wanted to go and be on this elite team right away. And I was very disappointed when they didn't accept me. Uh, I needed to work on my coaching a bit more. I needed to evolve my experience. Um, and I was able to do that. I, I got an opportunity to go work at Reebok CrossFit One with Austin Maliolo, Denise Thomas, Connor Murphy, and a bunch of other really fantastic trainers. And that was like the mecca of – if CrossFit New England was – you know, the number one place that you could coach outside of uh, Reebok CrossFit One. Reebok CrossFit One was like a close second, if not becoming the number one place that you could go and coach. Uh, literally everybody there who coached was on CrossFit seminar staff. We lived and breathed coaching nonstop. That was our exclusive job for Reebok HQ was to service the employees of Reebok, uh, run classes all day, go and travel the world for that brand and talk about CrossFit, talk about Reebok. It was a an absolute dream job. Um, and I was able to build up my set of skills to get on CrossFit seminar staff, uh, through my next application. Um, so I was working at Reebok as a full-time trainer for them, got on CrossFit seminar staff, was doing that for about three years. And, um, the cool part about working at a company like Reebok, when you are, um, doing something like we were, was that you interacted with everybody. You interacted with the CEO all the way down to the janitor. And everybody in between and everybody, for the most part, <laughs> loved you. You were the best part of their day. They got to come to the gym to see you, to do the thing that you were passionate about, to have a freaking blast for an hour. And they had cool jobs. You know, working for a footwear company is, is a pretty cool job, but it's also a job. So you have to go back to your desk and you have to go back to work and do all the things that a lot of people, you know, they, they put up with, but you got mm-hmm. to also go to this gym to do this amazing thing with these amazing people and this like really Willy Wonka type of uh, gym setup that had every piece of equipment with all the space that you could ever want. It was like a fantasy land. So you got to make some really cool connections. And uh, I got connected to a lot of people there who wanted to help me out and looked at my skill set and said, hey, I think that there's an opportunity for you to dust off that law degree that you have and, you know, maybe try your hand at some other stuff that we got going on. So I got pulled into Reebok HQ, uh, the main building, actually working for the company on, a cor- on the corporate side to help manage the CrossFit relationship between Reebok and CrossFit. And that was a really cool job for me because what Reebok told me to do was, we want you to represent Reebok, but with the attitude and the mindset of having all this CrossFit experience. So just be true to who you are, be true to the brand. We want to really go out there, put our best foot forward. We don't want to be fake. We want to be authentic. And I really embraced that. I had a lot of fun doing that job, and I was able to do it for about two years um, before I made the jump to NC Fit. And what what spurred that jump over to to Jason and NC Fit? Opportunity. Um, you know, having the opportunity to dive back in more closely with uh, fitness and coaching, um, and really evolved my skill set to a whole nother level. Uh, the, the downside of working on the Reebok corporate stuff was that it took me out of the gym. It, it separated me a bit from the thing that I was really passionate about, which was helping athletes and helping coaches. Um, you know, through the CrossFit seminar staff stuff, I was, I was on that team for 
three and a half, four years, I was able to do like 40 or 50 seminars, something like that. You know, you get to indoctrinate hundreds and hundreds of people into this methodology. You get to talk to coaches who are, you know, budding with passion. It's overflowing through their ears and you get to be a part of that. And I got to do some really cool stuff working for Reebok on the corporate side. Went to every CrossFit event you could ever want to go to, met every athlete you could ever want to meet, got to experience every product that you could ever imagine. It's a dream job for a lot of people. But, you know, there was an element of the passion that was lacking for me. And when I was talking to Jason about what they had plans to do at NC Fit, it just seemed like it would be a really strong opportunity and fit for me to go out there and be a part of that mission. And um, that's what got me excited. And that's what still gets me excited today. We're in a fantastic place to change the world in a lot of ways through what we offer at NC Fit. One of the things that's, uh, I don't know how unique it is, but I find it um, pretty interesting that you have this enormous skill set and uh, breadth of experience um, that a lot of people in your position, I feel like, would dive into like owning their own gym because they want to be like top dog or they want to be like that owner, right? Um, which is, I mean, that's kind of my story. Like I wanted my own space. Right. So did that ever cross your mind or were you always looking to be a part of something, deliver your skill set, and, you know, be, be, be part of that system? Great question. Um, I had opportunities to open more gyms with people than I can count. Um, yeah. you know, I, it came up a lot, um, from 2008 all the way to, joining NC Fit. I really haven't had that discussion with anybody in the past five years, but it happened a lot. Um, and it never felt exactly right. Um, there were a lot of really great people, a lot of really interesting deals, a lot of really amazing locations, but there was always something that held me back from it. And I'm a big go by your gut guy and I couldn't pull the trigger on it. Now there was a time when it was right for me. I actually did own a gym for a small amount of time. Um, mm. CrossFit One Nation, which has multiple locations in the Boston area. It was founded by my buddy Austin Maliolo and his business partner. And they turned to me and said, hey, we have an opportunity to open up another location. Do you want to join the single ownership team or do you want to join the entire ownership team? And I wanted to join the entire ownership team. It was a great opportunity to be a part of something, but not necessarily be solely responsible for everything. I didn't have to leave my work at Reebok or CrossFit seminar staff. I was able to kind of do both for a while. And I was gained a lot of really valuable experience, I think, seeing things from the, the owner's perspective and looking at, because I had worked in so many gyms and worked mm -hmm. with so many people, but there's a difference between actually being able to peek behind the curtain and then like ripping the curtain open and seeing everything that's actually behind the curtain. I had the peaks for so many years, but now I was really back there and in it. And um, when I moved to California, it was best for me to sell my share of the business and and move on completely. So I don't own a gym right now. Um, you know, work at a part of NC Fit. It's interesting to think about what my life would have been like if I had, uh, you know, dove into one of those other opportunities. It's really interesting to think about what my life would have been if the legal industry didn't <laughs> didn't collapse yeah. on me, but. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. I think about, cause a lot of people talk about, you know, luck versus hard work. And I think about this analogy of like white water rafting or mm. heading down this stream where a part of it is out of your control, right? Like you're just plopped down. Lots of people are upstream or down, start downstream or, you know, start all over the place based on their family, based on their situations. But a lot of the work that you put in, can give you the strength or the opportunities to divert yourself if you see see that opportunity, right? So like time, we don't have control over time. We don't have control over some of the people that we meet or, or things of that nature, but we do have a lot of control over a lot of things. And when opportunities present themselves, the people who have the skill sets and, and have built the reps in can choose to use those to push themselves over to one fork in the road or the mm -hmm. other, like, and then that will present a million different other opportunities. And then out of those, that will present a million different op other opportunities, right? Um, now, being at NC Fit and 
being chief fitness officer, mm -hmm. explain what that means to people who, who <laughs> don't know, uh, you know, your role. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, I really like that analogy of the whitewater rafting. And, and, you know, if you hear me talk about it in the future, uh, I'll give you attribution for a while and then, then I'll steal it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a really cool analogy, though, because you can think about, you know, rapids of different degrees. You can think about, you know, at certain times, life is going to be completely tumultuous and you might not have as many chances to kind of, you know, paddle your oar in one direction or the other. You, mm -hmm. you might only be going with the flow versus other times when you have smoother rapids and you can ab you're able to direct the boat in other directions. Um, but I really, really like that. I think that that's a really strong and applicable analogy. Um, chief fitness officer, what do I do? So when I first came on to NC Fit, uh, that wasn't my title. Uh, I came on to NC Fit because um, I seemed to be the right person for the right job at the right time and had to figure out a little bit where I sat on the bus. Um, NC Fit was going through a lot of changes at the time. Used to be NorCal CrossFit and rebranded and became this new company. And that came with some baggage. I think that that came with a certain loss of cultural identity. And, you know, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure that you know that culture is very important in any business, but especially in the business that we're in, that we're, you have all these people who come in every single day who want to be a part of what you're doing. You have these coaches who are living a life based on passion. You know, nobody signs up to be a coach to wear a Rolex and, you know, pull up to the gym in a Ferrari. They're buying into the leader, they're buying into the culture, they're buying into the thing. So when I first got there, um, we really took a hard look at what was what was the culture at NC Fit and what did it mean to be a coach or an athlete there. And we realized that we had to hit the hard reset on all those things. So a lot of the work that was done in the early years was making sure that we were all representing exactly what we wanted this new thing to be, that we were putting our best foot forward every single day. As coaches, as leaders, as athletes, we were setting the example from the top down, and we were going to make sure that we set the expectation properly for all of the people who wore the NC Fit shirt. So there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, we very quickly got into some other things and, you know, creating different business opportunities and looking at where we were strong, where we were weak, what we could focus on. But essentially, what I do for my job right now is anything that deals with any workouts that we produce or any coaches that come through our organization or any of our fitness philosophy, a lot of content that we put out, um, it passes through me at, at some point or my team. And we have a, a bunch of different things that we do at NC Fit. You know, we have obviously four awesome gym locations in the Bay Area, um, extremely talented coaches, super high level of coaching development. That's part of my job. I also have all these different programs and workouts that we're responsible for, making sure that they show up every single day with 100% integrity. And they also go out to a lot of different gym owners across the world who subscribe to our content. Um, and we're really proud of that. The same workouts that get run in our NC Fit gyms and the same coaching briefs and the coaching videos that we produce for our staff are going out to gym owners all over the world. And they're utilizing that to develop their athletes and develop their coaches. That's a very strong part of what I do as well. You know, obviously, you know, stuff like this and having the podcast and speaking on behalf of the brand is also part of what I do. And I really love this aspect of it. But I'm most passionate about coaching development and making sure that, you know, all of our workouts all the time are showing up 100%. Yeah, that's that's very clear for anyone uh, in this space and following you guys. You, you, you know, Jason, I know, says a lot, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? Yeah. And you guys are absolutely leaders in, to me, professionalizing the, the coaching industry, right? So if people want to take us seriously, well, we have to be professional. And I have to imagine your experience in law it kind of filters through in terms of this idea of like, let's professionalize this. Like, why aren't coaches, uh, you know, doing professional development similar to other professions like law? For sure. Medicine. Why aren't we elevating the experience in the gym so that, you know, people aren't rolling up in like ripped sweats and like hung overlooked and, you know, 10 minutes late and just opening the door right on time, you know, rather than early and being prepped. That's um, a big part of, of what we focus on, a huge part of what we focus on. You hit the nail on the head. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's honestly, you know, I've been, I don't know when I started following your stuff, but like, I appreciate that because I because I agree that there's so much room for 
being professional. It doesn't mean stodgy. It doesn't mean being uptight. Um, to me, it, it means providing the best experience you can for your members. And maybe it was because in, in my other career, um, I was able to, to drop into like 60, 70 boxes. And I had some terrible experiences just waiting in the parking lot for a coach to open up past, you know, class time. Um, you know, coaches who would start the clock and then go in the back office and drink their coffee. Wild. Um, uh, coaches who would just say, yeah, like there's the warm up, like go do it. And then they would like, I wouldn't even know where they went. They would come back like 20 minutes later. Um, just wild, wild yeah. stuff. Or like on their cell phone, you know, not because they're taking a photo of, of a member to post later, like because they're chatting away with someone, right? Um, yeah, dude, that's super unfortunate. You know, and that that really gets me fired up in a way that uh, it inspires me to continue to do the work that we're doing. It also frustrates me to some sense because although I don't think it's as commonplace now as it was four or five years ago or even earlier than that, I, I know that it's mm -hmm. still a problem that what we do as coaches in, in this space, it's so fun and so fulfilling and so easy to get wrapped up in it that there are some traps that people can fall into in terms of being too comfortable. And I don't necessarily always think that it's negligence or that it's ill willed that people do some of these things. I think they get comfortable. I think most of the people get comfortable. I certainly think there are some people who don't take it seriously, who are flippant, who have an attitude about this, that it's like, oh, well, you're just coaching. You know, you're mm -hmm. just showing up to the gym and, you know, you're just doing these workouts with these people. Yeah, well, they're also just paying $200 a month to stand there with you. That's a, oh, excuse me, my language. That's a lot of money that somebody's yeah. going to spend to spend an hour with you. So you better show up with your fastball every single time. You know, I think the comfort thing, though, um, is really interesting to think about because you can get involved in this and become so enwrapped in it and so kind of I, I, like drunk on the on the fact that you get to do this dream thing every single day. You get to show up to a community of people who adore you, who worship you in some ways. You get to do the exact thing that you would want to do even if you weren't getting paid, which is do these movements and do these workouts. But there's also a trap there that you can allow yourself to get too comfortable in that and that you might wake up four or five, six, seven years down the road and look back and go, I really didn't maximize this opportunity. I didn't work as hard as I could for the people who were showing up. I allowed myself to just kind of roll through these past few years and I enjoyed it. I don't want to say enjoyed it too much. You should enjoy it, but there's a difference where hey, you're not pursuing any professional development. You're not actively striving to be better. You're not refining your skill set. You're solely just showing up to the gym with your coffee in hand, coaching one class, doing three or four workouts, and going home. Like that, that to me is a recipe for somebody who can wake up at 30 or 35 years old and go, wow, I'm really SOL here. Like I have to figure out how I'm going to support myself for the rest of my life. And I think that that's a huge travesty because you can make this sustainable. You, you can figure out how to find opportunities and how to make some significant income by doing this, but you have to work hard. You know, nobody's going to hand it to you. And when you're just kind of working out every day for three hours and coaching your one or two classes and you talk to everybody about, oh, I'm going to go to the games and all this nonsense, like, you know, it that doesn't end up being a viable career for most people. Some people can make a career out of being a pro athlete. Matt Frazier does a brilliant job at it, but he's a freak. He's an absolute outlier. Most people, including most top athletes, go to the games and then still have to rely on second, third, fourth sources of income to make a living. So, you know, I'm not trying to dash anybody's dreams, but you also have to have a sense of reality. If you want to do this and you want to be successful at it and you want to make this something where you have opportunities to really support yourself and support a family, you have to work hard. It's not just doing workouts every single day because that's the easy part. Honestly, working out three times a day is not hard. Having the discipline to improve your craft or to say, hey, I actually need to work on this 
thing over here because this is important to me long term and I can't do this extra hour of training. That's hard. That's much, much harder. Yeah. Or just recognize that coaching or owning a gym is really not the priority, right? Be honest about that because so many people might say, oh, I just love working out. I'm going to open a gym because, you know, then I'll be able to work out whenever I want. But it's like, just because you like something doesn't mean you should open an establishment that serves other people for that thing. Like you can like drinking. It doesn't mean you should open a bar. You can like steak. doesn't mean you should open a steakhouse, you know. But I will say there are some successful people that have gotten into this because they love it so much and then figure out, you know, hey, I actually have to work at this. This is not just going to be me me drinking at my own bar every day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One of, you know, I... I did drop into a, a lot of places and I've had games athletes coach me. Most of them were very average or even subpar in terms of coaches, although their own athletic ability was, you know, outstanding and world-class. Becca Voigt was an amazing coach yeah, and a phenomenal trainer, like phenomenal coaching when I dropped into her place. And that was when, in her original, like super tiny location. Training yard. I remember um, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are, because we definitely have coaches who listen to this, including my own, but <laughs> others in the area. Um, what are some of your pet peeves about coaches that can, you know, s- s- some some faux pas, if you will? Oh, yeah, I've got a few. I've got a few opinions that, you know, I think people look at as being controversial. And I don't look at them as being controversial as I look at them as much as just pushing people to be better versions of themselves and and to really express this thing that we all know and love to a higher power like you know my one of my famous ones or one of the ones that got the most attention quote unquote is like don't eat while you coach like for me that's such a no-brainer that it it's almost ludicrous that anybody can look at me with a straight face and go that is nonsense of course i can eat while i coach Let's just back up a second. Let's just think about this. So you're telling me that the person who's showing up every day to pay $200 a month to be in your presence, that one hour that they're there, that's the only time that you can figure out in your entire day that you can feed yourself. First of all, that seems like misaligned priorities. That seems like you're putting your own comfort before the experience of the athletes, regardless of whether or not it's a full meal or a few bites of a bar, whatever, you're choosing to take those moments and take that signal and show it to the athletes as this is what's important to me right now, going from hand to mouth. Obviously, there's different degrees of this. I get to the, like people send me messages about this all the time. You know, I'm not eating like a five course meal. I'm just taking a bite of a bar. I get it. There are certain outlier situations. You have medical conditions. You had like an incredibly, an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly crazy day, like an outlier day, you feel like you're going to pass out, all this kind of stuff. Yes, there are some times when I have done that, where I'm just like, man, I, I got to take a bite of this really quick, this bar over here, and I'm going to run back. It's the vast, vast, vast minority of all the classes that I've ever, ever coached. My issue is that I think the people who get most mad about that statement are people who are doing that thing, who are, who are behaving that way, who probably in some senses know that it's not the best expression of coaching with their members. And they're, they might, and this is just my own assumption, they might look at it and they might be a little bit defensive of that position because it's comfortable. Sure. It's really easy to pull out your protein bar, or your protein shake and walk around class and be chomping on it while you're you know changing the music or whatever. Or you know, you tell yourself the story that you're so busy and that you train so hard and that this is your time to, you know, refuel. That's all fucking bullshit. It's all bullshit that you're telling yourself because you can figure out other times to give yourself the proper nutrition that are not the times that you're working. And I get it. People are very busy. People are busier than I am. People have families. They have other jobs. They have other things. But sitting in your car five minutes before you walk into the gym and eating your food is better than doing it on the floor when you're supposed to be working, in my opinion. Waking up 10 to 15 minutes earlier to have your protein shake 
before you get into the gym is a better uh, way to go about this, in my opinion. I just think it sends an, an awful message of being too comfortable with your athletes and really being too concerned with your own comfort as opposed to being all into the experience that the athletes are doing. And you have coaches that come to me and go, well, you know, I can do both at the same time. Can you imagine if a Peloton instructor showed up on the Peloton screen eating their chicken, rice, and broccoli while they were delivering a Peloton class? Like what an abomination that would be. And that's the reason why those guys are doing the best stuff in the world and getting paid to do it. Like they, they take it really professionally. It's a performance for them. I look at what we do in functional training as being just as valuable, if not more valuable. You know, we are hand to hand impacting these people's lives. I take that really seriously. I think that you can forego a little bit of your nutrition for the couple of hours that you're working to give all of it, all your attention to your athletes. And in between classes, yeah, maybe like grab a couple of bites of a bar, take your 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 protein shake or whatever. And I don't even mind if people have a cup of coffee or water with them. I'm just saying, don't be so obsessed with eating your food that it becomes a distraction. Anyway, so, and that's you the one. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a ridiculous amount of pushback. Um, that's amazing. Uh, um, yeah, because I, yeah, I know you do, you do your post-it notes. Um, yeah. So for you guys who don't follow him, follow MDV on Instagram. He does these uh, post-it notes that he writes and unpopular opinion Wednesdays and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Every now and again, we, the people get a little fired up by some of the stuff, but yeah, usually but it, I'm like trying said, to pull it's, people it's back people who are doing it and they get defensive because they know that, you know, you're calling them out. It's also just my opinion and people can go and coach their classes the way that they want to coach and run their gyms the way that they want to run them. But you know, if you also send me a DM that you go, hey, I'm tired of making $30 an hour, but I don't want to stop eating during class, there's a fundamental flaw there. You're not seeing this clearly. You know, I, I think that those types of behaviors and those types of habits, whether or not it's eating in class or showing up late or wearing your dirty sweatpants or, you know, just looking at your phone the whole time or, you know, not being passionate about the workout that you're coaching or, you know, telling the class, hey, go run 400 meters and then grab your equipment and start the workout. All of this stuff, it's all the fucking same. It's all unprofessional in my opinion. And if you want to excel, if you want to stand out, you're going to have to do things that people don't want to necessarily do. You have to be uncommon among the common. And some people can do it and some people can't. Have you ever had a, a job in hospitality, like uh, waiting tables or, or anything like that? Uh, I've done... I've done some work in that field. Um, I had a, a friend growing up who owned a restaurant and we worked for his dad, um, you know, for events and stuff like that. And then I also worked as a, um, uh, in a, in a deli in New York. When I first lost my job in law school, uh, after law school, I was kind of looking at my circumstances and going like, well, I got to make some money, man. Like, where can I go and make money right away? So I went out and got a job at the local deli and I, you know, learned how to do that. And uh, very interesting being, you know, a lawyer from a top law school, getting yelled at from people that I didn't put enough mustard on their sandwich. It was a really humbling experience. And I, I loved that work, by the way. Sandwich artist. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at a classic New York deli. It was uh, yeah. a lot of fun. Met a lot of college. Lot yeah. of interesting people. Yeah. I feel like everybody needs to have some sort of service job at some point in their life because whether whether you're serving people and the expectation is that you're going to deliver either a service or a product but you put effort into that um to know what it's like to to have to be presentable professional like whatever that word is right um for an elevated experience um because what's common sense to you and i apparently is just not common sense to a lot of people right um, I think the paradigm is shifting a little bit. I think you're starting to see that more people are embracing this idea that, you know, we can and should be a little bit more professional about what we do. I don't think that they have necessarily as many options anymore because there are so many other options. You know, mm -hmm. the gym owner is now looking at competition as being much more widespread than it ever was before. People can get workouts anywhere in the world for very little money. And you could mm -hmm. probably get workouts for free for the rest of your life if you just scoured the internet. 
So what are the reasons that people are showing up to your gym to pay this, you know, high amount of money to be there? And a lot of it is, what is the culture? Who are the people? How well do you treat them? How great are the the workouts and how well are they coached? All those kinds of things, but probably mostly culture and people. You know, every gym in the world is going to say, hey, we have great workouts and great coaches. What makes your gym different? Yeah, and and companies like yours are also making it easy or should be easy to do things like lesson planning, right? So like back in the day, you may have to come up with a lesson plan all from scratch, but nowadays, you know, NC Fit Programming, you know, we use level method programming. Uh, you know, there's lots of different companies out there and, or in CrossFit, you know, uh, what are they called? Cat program. Home. Yeah, cat program, but yeah, it's not HQ anymore. It's some other name, but yeah, they, they provide their own programming and lesson plans. You know, Denise Thomas had made it super popular, uh, you know, on social. Mm-hmm. So it's just making it normal to actually be professional, which is good. Yeah, yeah. It, being prepared um, was something that was a little shocking to the conscious for some people, I think, for a while. It's much more common now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, back when we were talking about it very early on, four or five years ago, it wasn't as common. Um, but it really, it, not only is it the number one way to ensure that your members have the best experience possible, it's also the number one way that you can develop yourself into a fantastic world-class style coach without spending a dollar without spending any money on certifications or one-on-one coaching or, you know, any fancy tools or resources. This is just putting in the work every single day, intentional repetition over and over and over again. Yeah. You just had a post about that the other day, Um, which goes back to your quote of (laughs) effort over everything. Right. Uh, And I don't know where that originated, but Uh, it originated on my whiteboard in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like your very first Instagram post. Um, talk about that. Like, what does that mean to you? Effort over everything means everything to me. It really does. It's, uh, you know, we had a, we had a meeting yesterday actually with a couple of people, a couple of the leaders in our company. And we were just talking about this very openly about what does this mean to us? And very plainly, I said that this means everything to me. This is, this is absolutely the core of every decision that we should make as a company. This is how we should act. This is how we should treat other people. This is how we should do our jobs when people are looking. It's how we should do our jobs when nobody's looking. It's the ultimate expression of care for me is being able to show up every single day and put in my best effort into everything that I do. And um, that's un- that's uncommon, I think. I think that, you know, uh, it's really easy to be short-term motivated and to get fired up about some stuff, but it's really easy to then fall off and not have the discipline to follow through. It's really easy to not go to the gym because you tell yourself a story that you know you had a really long day or you know you deserve uh, the rest day or the cheat meal. I'm not saying that you know rest days or or meals that are outside the optimal intake aren't good for you. They are, but. There's also a lot of comfort that you can tell yourself, a story of comfort that you can tell yourself. And if you have certain goals, you have to be consistent. You know, uh, effort is everything for me. Um, Effort in the things that people see, you know, how I do my job, how I work at show up, and effort in the things that people don't see. The mundane course of my life outside of social media and outside of NC Fit. I, I really try to live my life to that extent. And, you know, I'm not, I was talking about this yesterday not proud of myself this morning when I woke up because I didn't do the dishes in the sink last night. That's the kind of mentality that, and I, I know that that's weird outlier kind of thinking like, but that's, that's just how I am. I've always been that way. And I think that that's ingrained from my parents, honestly. But, you know, I looked at that sink this morning. I was like, damn, man, like you took the easy way out last night. You should have took it, took, take, took in or taken. <laughs> you should have took the five or 10 minutes that it would have taken to just wash the dishes and you would have woke up this morning to a clean sink. Now what you're waking up to is a reflection of your own comfort. I know that that sounds extreme and people are probably listening to this going like, oh, this guy's a lunatic. But for me, it's meaningful because like there's going to be other stuff that's going to happen that's much harder. That's much more, it's going to provide much more adversity. I want to be able to show up at those times and doing those small things when I don't want to 
prepares me to do the things that I have to when I don't want to. So that's the long story short on effort over everything. Yeah, it goes back to that idea of like how you do anything is how you do everything. 100%. It's not, it's not the dishes. It's the fact that you let it go and could have done it, but chose not to, which I think you even had a challenge at some point, like a seven day challenge where like one of, one of the items was to do your dishes after every single meal. Yes, so. sir. And that was the thing that got most people. It was a, a little mm. challenge that I had put out um, that had a couple of elements, had a nutrition element, had a fitness element, had a lifestyle element. And more people, uh, and on both sides of the equation, more people were compelled to um, succeed or reached out to me, compel being compelled to succeed because of the dishes. And more people mm. reached out because they had failed because of the dishes out of any of the other factors that were involved in this challenge. And I thought mm. that that was really interesting because it's, like you said, it's not the dishes. It, the dishes are just a representation of an attitude or a, a way that you want to live your life. But it's, it is excelling in the mundane or doing the things that you don't want to do or getting rid of this idea that, oh, I'll do it tomorrow type of stuff. No, just do it. Mm -hmm. Do it now. Do the dishes now because you know you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and feel better about it. It's the same thing with um, uh, it was a General McRaven when he gave that speech mm -hmm. at Texas. I think it was Texas. And he yeah. talked about making your bed. And, you know, mm -hmm. that speech went completely viral and, you know, became a best-selling world-renowned author over the, the simple thing, the one thing that you can do in, in the day that at the end of the day, if you have the worst day possible, you come home and you look at a well-made bed, you go, I did that. I accomplished that today. It's the same thing with dishes. Yeah. Start, start with a win. Um, you somewhat recently just finished uh, or had done uh, 75 hard. Yes. Right. Um, I didn't finish. explain I what that is because well, yeah, so I want to talk about that because it's interesting your take on why you failed it. Um, explain what it is sure. first because some people don't know what it is and then explain, you know, your take on failing. Yeah, yeah. So 75 Hard is a um, is a challenge that was popularized by a guy named Andy Frizzella. And Andy Frizzella is the CEO of a company called First Form. And he's also the host of the uh, Real AF podcast. He's a very motivational guy. He's an outspoken guy. He's got a lot of strong opinions, but he's also a guy that obviously lives his life to uh, a very high standard. Regardless of whether or not you agree with him politically, socially, whatever, there's no arguing that this guy is putting in the work. He has a challenge called 75 hard, which is a list of things that you have to do every single day with unflinching rigidity for 75 days. And if you flinch, even the slightest, you fail. So, you know, a few things on the list are you have to do two 45-minute workouts a day. One of them has to be outside. You have to drink a gallon of water a day. You have to read 10 pages in a self-development book a day. You have to take a progress picture every day. You have to follow some sort of diet every day and a few other things on that list. I was not unflinchingly rigid. I did 75 really great days. I had 75 days with 99% compliance. I lost it at some point in the middle. And I continued to allow myself to creep into the gray on the nutrition side of things. I didn't set firm enough guidelines for myself on what I was going to do with my nutrition. And that allowed me too much leeway in which I felt I didn't complete the challenge to the spirit of the challenge. I bet a lot of people who were in my circumstance would have looked at it and been like, I did 75 hard. I completed it. I'm going to celebrate myself and I'm going to put it out there that I did this and this was super hard. To be honest with you, it wasn't that fucking hard. It wasn't hard because I didn't push myself to a level that I needed to push myself to. Doing two workouts a day, yes, a couple of days it was a little challenging because I had to go out and do a walk in the neighborhood with my dog. How, how lame is that, that that's the, one of the hardest things? Like, I, First of all, it just says like, I have a super, very uh, privileged and soft life that like, I get to go out for, out for a 45-minute walk. I realize that. But then the nutrition thing definitely caught up with me. I found myself making just slight excuses that, 
oh, well, I had kind of said that I wanted to um, curtail my night eating at around like 10 o'clock. I wanted to go to bed and have a few hours where I wasn't just stuffing my face. Uh, you know what? Well, I had a late meeting with some of our international coaches and that actually bled into, um, you know, 930. So, you know, now I, I didn't start cooking dinner till 945. I'm going to have these past few bites past 10. And that led to, oh, well, I can have this thing past 10. And that led to blah, blah, blah. Anyway, a lot of people probably would have looked at that and been like, well, you, you still did good enough. I failed. And I was very honest about failing 75 hard. And I haven't redone it yet because I haven't been in the right mindset to go, I'm ready for this with rigidity right now. Hmm. I have a buddy who, uh, Jeff Smith, um, down in Houston, he runs uh, the Tinker program in two brain business. Uh, but he's doing, I guess there's an elevated 75 hard. Yeah. There's a couple of different versions. Like three cycles of it or something and it changes slightly, but yeah, I mean, I, that, I feel like that's pretty popular these days. Um, to, to like do 75 hard, but just to do it. And, um, uh, it, it's interesting that, that you say that you basically, you failed it where, like you said, I think a lot of people in your situation would have said, yeah, like I did it. Like I did 75 hard. Right. Cause on paper, maybe they did, but what you're saying is this, you didn't feel like you did it in the spirit of it. I probably, I know. I, I, well, yes, I didn't, I definitely didn't do it in the spirit of it. But I also didn't do it to the letter of how you should do it, where gotcha. this challenge is all about absolute rigidity. And that, yeah. that's how I look at it. But that's also how I've heard Andy look at it, where there, okay. there's no slack. Mm -hmm. There's no slack. You can't do a 44-minute workout. Doing a 44-minute workout is great. I hope, I wish everybody in the world would do a 44-minute workout. But the challenge says 45-minute workout. Right. I, I did something at the same time I was doing 75 hard that really highlighted this for me. I was, I was rucking a hill and up and down this hill, it's a miserable hill and I, I can't pass it now. My, one of my neighbors showed me that this hill existed in my neighborhood and I kind of hate him for it because every time that I go out to walk, I go, well, I'm going to feel like a lazy piece of crap if I don't do the hill. Anyway, so there's this fire hydrant at the top of the hill. And my own weird standard that I set for myself on this hill is that every time I get to the top, I've got to touch the fire hydrant and then I can mm -hmm. turn around. And I was doing it one day and I was kind of thinking about like, if I just grazed my hand above the fire hydrant like this, that for most people would be, oh, I touched the fire hydrant. Like I got close enough to touch the fire hydrant. Chin over bar. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. Right. Like. But I didn't touch it. I didn't physically touch it. I didn't make contact with my hand on it. And that's kind of how I started to look at 75 hard. It's like, yeah, I did 75 hard, but I didn't touch my hand to the fire hydrant. So um, I, I would have been telling myself and others a lie if I had said I had done this. So I will do it one day and I will do it um, rigidly. But Mm -hmm. Anyway, that analogy yeah. just made it, made it make sense for me about why yeah. I failed. Yeah, love it. Um, changing directions. Yeah, uh, our our gym name Kana K A N N A. It's Icelandic. It means explore, investigate, but it also means a pot of coffee. And what it, it seems like uh, you started a coffee company. Last port coffee. Yeah. So I want to talk about that and uh, kind of get the the story on that because it seems brand new. First of all, I got to thank you that this is a, a, a very amazing podcast. I've been on a lot of these kinds of podcasts, you know, big podcasts, small podcasts, and uh, you're asking a lot of really great questions and your flow is awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to pump you up just a little bit right here. Um, <laughs> no, thank you very much for asking. Uh, it's been a passion project, it's been on my whiteboard for a lot of years. Um, and I actually went down the path a couple of years ago. i I was going to start a, a kind of a more niche espresso type of company and had bought this really expensive espresso machine, saved up for it. And that was a whole nightmare. I had to return it and it was a big deal. But um, I was sitting in a local coffee shop here in the town that I live in and I was just really enjoying the coffee. I've been a lifelong coffee drinker. I drink my coffee the same exact way every single day. I drink my coffee hot. I drink it black. I like medium dark to dark roasts. 
And if I'm going to drink, I'm either going to drink it as a medium dark, dark roast, uh, as a pour over or French press, or I'm going to drink like, uh, an Americano espresso type of drink, but I always drink it hot and black. And I was loving the coffee. I was sitting there every day, just really enjoying it. And I just started a conversation with the owner and, uh, it turned out we had an opportunity to, uh, work with them to find the beans that we wanted to have as a, in our uh, roast catalog. So we have four roasts. We've got a light, a medium, a medium dark, and a dark. They're all super flavorful. They're all fantastic. Our company is called Last Port Coffee Company. It is a little bit of a homage to uh, some of the tattoos that I've collected over the years. Um, I'm American traditional tattoo wearer, and I really like the art. I like the culture. I like the people who are involved in it. And Last Port is uh, part of that. So great coffee, great tattoos, great stories. They all go together for me. And um, yeah, anybody out there who wants to try it and find their new best cup of coffee, lastportcoffee.com, um, you can find it. So it's been a, been a fun journey. Um, coffee is being well-received and people are enjoying it. And when I get hit up and somebody says it's their new favorite cup of coffee, I get really excited. That's awesome. Yeah. What are, what are your plans for it? I mean, right now it seems like what we're shipping bags out. Um, I mean, are, do you feel like you're going to have uh, a brick and mortar uh, at some point? I don't know. Um, it was really cool to cross it off the list though, because it had been on the whiteboard for so long. It, it was almost becoming one of those things where it's like, oh, this is just a pipe dream. You know, this is one of mm. those things that it would have been cool to look back and be like, oh, I wish I could have done that. So yeah. I'm really glad that I got it off the ground and got it going along with the help of my wonderful fiance, you know, she runs a company called Notorious Bastards, which is a clothing lifestyle apparel company, which is also like a tattooed inspired, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you're familiar with a brand like P and Co, Notorious Bastards is right in line with that. And mm -hmm. uh, I was really impressed by how Black Rifle Coffee had come up and done such a good job of creating a culture and a brand. And um, what Black Rifle Coffee did when they first came on the scene was they started selling their coffee through like a lifestyle and apparel company, like a very American uh, rah rah pro military type of company, which is great for them. It was their niche audience, and then they exploded. Um, I can only wish to have a fraction of the success that Black Rifle Coffee had, but we're doing the same thing. We sell exclusively through Notorious Bastards, um, so you can find our coffee at LastPortCoffee.com, or if you go to NotoriousBastards.com, you're going to find yourself in the same place, looking at the same goods. And some of it's coffee, some of it's apparel, but that's where you find it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, with social media these days uh, and the internet, it's like the coffee itself, I'm, I'm sure is amazing, but people really want to latch on and identify with a, a group, right? And whatever that group is, even if it's not something you would necessarily associate, if there's a product that comes in and focuses on that niche, you know, they're more apt to buy it right? Because there's more buy-in, people get it. Like, it would be weird if you ha are marketing this thing and you didn't have any tattoos, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And, and there are some companies that do that. They try to get into this niche, but they don't actually live the, th the thing, right? It's like a, a CrossFit gym owner who like did a workout, is really rich, goes to get their level one, opens a box because they think it's going to be easy money. And it's like, you're not doing it. You're not doing it in the spirit of what you're doing, which is to me, the theme of this podcast. It's like, and you really like it's, it's living 110% the spirit of whatever it is that you're going out and setting out to do, because you could do anything like you could have kept with the lawyer thing, but you weren't living the spirit of it. Now there were things out of your control, right? Like the crash and, and everything and getting let go, but like you finding what it is that you're truly passionate about going in 110% effort over everything down to how coaches are dressed, what they do in class, how a gym is running to making and selling coffee. Like it's all the same thing to me, to, to doing your dishes. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it is, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, I, I, I really appreciate this conversation. It's been really fun to chat through some of this stuff and to, to get to know you a little bit better. And, you know, I, Whatever people are passionate about, I hope that they have the opportunity to invest their their time and their energy into it. And, you know, whether or not that means that you're able to do it as your career or not, but like just I, I think that people need to 
go out there and be more passionate about the things that they love more. And they need to find other people who are passionate about those things and also find other people who, you know, have diverse interests, but like, you know, create connection, go out there and, and figure it out and be a part of something. And, you know, less being in our own bubble and staring at our own screens and, you know, sitting in our own little isolated worlds, more of going out there and expressing the things that we're passionate about and, you know, being good people and, and, and giving our effort. I think the world overall would be a better place if, you know, people did a little bit more of that. Um, I can do a little bit more of that. I, I hate putting in on other people. I know that, you know, I can only impact, uh, you know, myself and the people around me who are willing to listen. So, you know, that's the charge that I, I try to live by every, the charter I try to live by every day is like, Hey, can I go out today and, and live today to the fullest, um, no matter what I'm doing, even if it's just, you know, taking the garbage pails in from the night before, am I going to go out there and do it early and not let them sit out all day because, you know, the neighbors are going to look at the house and go, well, this guy's a POS that leaves his garbage out all day. I don't know. That's just on my mind because one of my neighbors leaves their stuff out for the, like two days past the garbage comes. And I look at that and I go, right. I'm going to go over there and pull his garbage pails in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had uh, Greg Everett on and he, he, we were talking about social media and how like, oh man, if you really want to like game the system, like there's plenty of ways to game this and be, you know, disingenuous and, and really put stuff out there that, you know, people will hit the like button or whatever. But ultimately, like, because I, I know that you weren't on social media or didn't love it as much and then you, you relatively recently got back on. To me, that actually is a reason to be back on because, again, if we can make it more normal to do these little things and to get it, the message out there, um, it, it, it elevates or hopefully it pushes people to, to go to those places that maybe they kind of want to go to. But because of that social proof of seeing other people do it, mm. it allows them to actually take those risks or to do, doesn't mean like they have to necessarily quit their job, but, you know, pick up a hobby that they've always thought about or sure. try something just because they're seeing other people do it. Sure. So that's why I recommend that you can <laughs> social posts. Social media is um, tricky, man. It's a, it yeah, can be it, the worst thing in the world. You know, it can be very detrimental. It can be very hurtful for all of, I, I try to keep it mostly positive on my channel. I still get people that reach out to me with saying hurtful things and you know, it's, it can be tough. I empathize with people who struggle with it for sure, but there is a, a good side to it as well. And I get motivated by seeing other people posting things that fire me up. And a lot of the times with my post, man, I'm a lot of times talking to myself first. And if it helps other people, that's amazing. I love that. But I also need this to myself. I need to fire myself up every single day. I don't wake up every day wanting to go all in on absolutely everything. There are some days I wake up and I'm not motivated, but I have to tap into a side of me that I know is there to continue to push forward. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to wrap up with the last Heck couple yeah. questions. Let's do it. Um, books. Uh, what kind of books do you recommend people read uh, for any different reason? But what are, what are one or two that you really- I'm going to recommend two. Uh, number one for overall setting a daily intention and setting the tone every single day. Daily Stoic is an amazing, super low cost way. Is it back there? Yeah, that's amazing. Yep. I recommend that to everybody. I've been through this book probably three or four times, different versions. I have multiple copies around the house that have notes in them. Daily Stoic's fantastic. For anybody looking to break through any sort of barriers in terms of their professional life and really discover a deeper meaning, this book called Turn Pro, uh, or excuse me, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Has, yep, has been an amazing book for me. He also wrote War of Art, which is a fan, another fantastic book. Uh, I also like reading fiction, um, and I'm a big Nelson DeMille reader, and Nelson DeMille writes a lot of like mystery type of murder, cop type of stuff. So a couple of self-development, one pleasure read. That's cool. Um, are you you're reading physical books? Do you do any audiobooks? What like what's the I read all physical books. I don't do any audiobooks. Part of it was because uh, I was getting annoyed with Audible. I couldn't really figure it out. <laughs> the way that the credit system worked on Audible you can't, was bullshit. Yeah, you can't even buy it in Audible and Yeah, I, I was yeah. very annoyed by it. But um I've I've done some audiobooks, um, but mostly I like hard paper in front of me. I like writing yeah. in the books. 
I listen yep. to a lot of podcasts, but um, yep. yeah. And that reading is part of your morning routine? Um, whenever I can squeeze it in. I, I don't, I, sometimes I read in the sauna in the morning. Other times I read at night. Um, mm. I don't read, read every single day right now. Like um, I'm not sitting down reading like 20 or 30 pages every single day. I read daily stoic every day. Um, but I probably could make a little bit more time to read every day. You don't lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then what's on your bucket list? So what in your life do you really want to do, go see, accomplish, like whatever it is? Oh man, uh, I'll, I'll do two. Uh, I want to write a book. Um, and I've always wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a book ever since I was a young, young, young boy. Um, and the book that I wanted to write when I was a young boy is different than the book that I want to write right now. But uh, I, I think that at some point I'll put pen to paper on a book. And it's not, you know, like a, it, it won't be anything that anybody's probably thinking it is right now. It's, it's a very different style of, of book that I'm thinking about. But um, that's one thing. The other thing is I want to go back to Spain. And um, I lived in Spain during college for a short period of time and I was able to visit a whole bunch of other times. I want to go back and I would love to live there for an extended period of time again. And uh, That's cool. it's you? a bucket list type of thing. Uh, I, was, I lived in Valencia, which is uh, on like the southeast-ish coast of Spain, the south middle coast of Spain. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, my wife studied abroad in uh, Salamanca. Very cool. Travel around. Cool, man. So uh, yeah, I want to wrap up. So where can people find you? Um, lastportcoffee.com, obviously, <laughs> Notorious Bastards. Uh, and then where else? Uh, I'm on Instagram. It's one of the best places at MDV underscore FIT. Uh, that's a great place to get in contact with me. I try to be super active on there and answer any questions that come through the DMs. If you're looking to find out more about our workouts at NC.fit and at NCFit Collective, if you're a gym owner or a coach out there and want to figure out uh, what we do for programming professional development. Cool. All right, Matt. Hey, thanks for coming Thank on you. board. Um, appreciate the conversation. It's great. Had a blast.